welcome to a new episode of Hyperbaric Reviews with Bread Roll and JT. <laughs> what was that? Quote <laughs> oh, from Hello, the movie, everybody. it's all I could think of for this one. <laughs> well, that caught me by surprise. In fact, so much so, I've deleted half my notes. Um, hello, everyone. We're back again. Um, we're looking at Brad Roll's choice this week. Maybe you'll work out what he was on about with that strange noise he just made. Um, but what are we looking at this week, Brad Roll? I doubt anyone's even heard of the movie, let alone recognise the noise I just made. But um, we are looking at a movie called Cube, which was directed by Vincenzo Natali. It stars loads of people you've probably never heard of. It um, came out on the 9th of September 1997. It runs for 90 minutes. It had a budget of 350 grand. It had a box office of 8.9 million. So it actually did pretty well for itself. Yeah, I was thinking that for my first note. It did okay, didn't it, considering the, the minuscule budget it had? Are you saying about the actors and the cast there no one's ever heard of? Apparently, they're all um, named after real life prisoners. I don't know if you knew that. I saw that on Wiki. I think it was. It might have been IMDb. But they all had names after actual prisoners yeah the characters themselves did um yeah because one's called quentin as in saint quentin prison and then there's like holloway uh, worth and levin all that sort of stuff and they are all references to various um prisons around the world which i thought was pretty good because this it kind of um adds a bit of kind of um well, obviously we'll go for the synopsis as usual but this movie is quite ambiguous in what it's about sort of thing it kind of leaves a lot to the imagination but um, one of the factors is is they are technically prisoners of some kind so I thought that was a nice little kind of play on words or situation if you will yeah I mean I'd never really heard anything about this film I did recognize the cover when you suggested it last week I had a quick google and I thought yeah I I have seen that somewhere but I've certainly never seen the the film um Nicole DeBoer we're talking about DeBoer talking about the actors in this film she plays Levin one of the characters he's 52 so when she made this, she would have been 26, 27. She looked about 15. And there's a picture of her on um, Wiki or IMDb from about three or four years ago. And she still looks like she's in her 20s. She's a very young looking person for her age. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking that because I was having a look for him because I say that no one's ever heard of him. The two that I've recognised, I think David Hewlett's been in a few things. He plays Worth. I do recognise him here and there. And Maurice Dean Wynn, who plays um, Quentin, the sort of cop guy in it. I recognise him from a kind of like TV series years ago. I think he did like a Robocop TV series, um, if I remember correctly. It was shit, but he doesn't seem to do like big movies or anything. Um, but yeah, maybe it's just something to do with Canadian actors. They all age really well because like I say, she's in her 50s and stuff. It still looks like she's in her early 30s at the moment. She does, yeah. I mean, I, I had a quick IMDb of, of all the cast. Um and there were a couple that looked familiar, like you say, and they've all been in loads of things, but nothing I'd really watched. But a couple of them definitely did look a little bit familiar. Yeah, I mean, this film, I, I didn't realise it as old as it was. I knew it was quite old. I think I saw it first time around around 99, 2000. I didn't realise it came out actually 97. Um, and it's just one of those weird movies. I saw it, it was on the sci-fi channel, and that's back when it was the science fiction channel, back when it was really good. Um, they used to play loads of cool movies on that back in the day. It's now something different, like sci-fi with Wise or something. But anyway, yeah, it just sort of popped up on there, and I watched it one day, and it's just kind of been one of those sort of re-watchable movies um, that I've just gone back to over the years. And I have seen the sequels as well, though they're definitely not as good as this one. Obviously, I'll give my thoughts on this movie when we get to the end, as always. But... um. Yeah, it's just one I watched over the years and I thought it might be a good one to sort of take a look at because I think the concept of it is interesting, if nothing else. Oh dear, sorry. I had a little chuckle there in the background. You mentioned the sci-fi channel. Yeah, it's called um, 
it's spelled S-Y-F-Y now, isn't it? Sci-fi like that. And we were flicking through the channels not that long ago, me and Kirsty, and she's like, Siffy, what kind of channel's that? It just made me laugh. <laughs> but anyway, hopefully she won't listen to this. She never fucking listens to these podcasts, but sod's law she'll listen to this one. Um, so apologies if she does. But yeah, it did make me chuckle. <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah, the director of this one, um, Vincenzo Natale, so like, he wrote it and obviously co-directed and everything. And um, yeah, there are two sequels to it. And he was, he is planning or has been in production for a while, actually doing like a remake or a reboot of this as well. And there is actually a Japanese version of it. It came out in 2021, I think, which I haven't seen, but apparently it's um, a really good, literally like for like remake. It's just obviously Japanese. So I'd have to try and find it in this country and find a, um, a dubbed version of it or like a um, subbed version if nothing else. Interesting. So it's got a bit of a cult following then by the sound of it. It definitely has, yeah. I mean, as I say, it's more of a concept movie than anything else. And obviously we'll do the synopsis in a minute. And one of the original ideas they had was in the cube, there were going to be there's going to be a monster in there. And it's basically this monster was stalking them through it. And then they changed the ideas to be what it is and make it a bit more kind of, as I say, it doesn't really explain very much um, as we'll go through the synopsis or anything, but um, they were going to have like a monster in there and then they changed it because I think it obviously is a bit more cliche. And I was just thinking, that sounds like a fucking premise for a video game, doesn't it? Stuck inside this maze with a monster chasing you. It's just something you'd play a survival horror. Yeah, I, th- I think they're probably better not going for that idea. Like I say, it would have been a bit cliched and we'd, we'd seen that sort of thing before. So I think leaving that out, leaving more to your imagination probably works better. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, just before we do go with the um, synopsis on this one, uh, there's not many kind of like special effects in this, so to speak. I mean, it's sort of slightly aged CGI, but they actually got all the CGI done for free. And I can't remember the name of the company who did it, but they're the same company who did the CGI for um, Blade, the movie when that came out, Wesley Snipes in it. But um, yeah, that company did the CGI for free to support the Canadian film um organization which is obviously where this was actually made and the movie consists of them going for all these different cubes hence the name but because of the budget they only ever had one and they only have um, cubes so literally they had a backdrop for the doors when they go in and out and the whole film was just shot in this one cube set i did wonder that um obviously they they changed the colors of the cubes as you go through them but yeah i i did wonder if they just had the one they just changed the lighting and a few of the, the bits sort of in the background yeah that makes sense yeah because the cubes as you say change color so they had basically these gel coverings it was like white blue and stuff because it took so long to change them they had to shoot the movie so all the scenes in blue rooms were shot together all the scenes in red rooms and that so they had to keep going back and forth with outfits and fatigue and hairstyle and all that sort of stuff so it all kind of lines up as they progress through the actual chamber so that must have been a bit of a headache and the movie was shot i think they said something in like 20 days it was just hardcore shooting Oh, fair play. I mean, I didn't notice any continuity errors, so they, they did it right there. I mean, I wasn't watching it really closely, but I certainly didn't notice anything. It sort of jumped out at me. No, no, same. And I say, I've seen this movie a few times over the years. So that's a little sort of in um, back, sort of like looking into the backstory of how some of these like, indie developers actually sort of work around the sort of kinks of their movies, really, to try and bring it out. But I always think that these indie movies tend to be a bit more kind of, there's a bit more heart and soul into them, isn't there? Considered um, compared to like the whole kind of like Hollywood blockbusters and everything. Absolutely, um, it's rare these days that I enjoy a blockbuster. I have to say, I'm more into these sort of indie movies. Most blockbusters now are just TGI driven and big name driven. Chuck a lot of money at it, and you know, let's fuck the plot sort of thing. 
Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of plots, let's have a look at the old synopsis of this one. So it comes from Wikipedia and it goes a little something like this. A man named Alderson awakens in a mysterious cube-shaped room. He enters another red-coloured room, but a thin wire mess slices him into cubes, gorily killing him before retracting to its original position. Five different people, Quentin, Holloway, Worth, Levin and Renz, all meet in the same room, unaware how they got here or why they are here. Quentin, a divorced police officer who was exploring, warns the group about trapped rooms. Levin, a young mathematics student, notices metal plates with three sets of numbers etched into them. Renz, who's an escape artist who has fled several prisons, tests his theory that each trap can be set by motion detectors by throwing his boot into a room. This initially worked, but after jumping into the room, he is killed by acid. The group are horrified, realising each trap is set by different sensors. So there's the sort of first sort of opening section of this movie. What were your thoughts going into it? I, well, I didn't really know what to expect. And it opens with that Alderson character. He looks like Uncle Fester. And he's, <laughs> he's in this fucking cube, obviously, as it says there. And he's looking around. And the camera starts panning around. And I thought, oh, it made me feel a bit queasy, just the, the motion. I thought, I hope it's not going to be like that all the way through. Thank God it wasn't. And then, as the synopsis said there, he sort of goes into this room. He, t- he turns the cube door. He walks into this room. And he sort of stood there. And then he just gets sliced up. And I was like, whoa, well, that was a bit unexpected. And bits of him just start falling off. Like his head comes apart, his arm falls off. And I was like, okay, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, it's a bit of a sort of sudden opening. So like you say, you have no idea what's going on. It's just him waking up. And I always think this looks like a, he's escaped from Alien 3. He looks yes. like one of the prisoners from that planet, doesn't he? The bald head, the sort of grey um, fatigues and he, stuff. Pete Postlethwaite's character, I believe. I think it was him, yeah. possibly. But yeah, yeah, he does. You're right. Absolutely. And um, yeah, like I say, he gets a lot of slice and it's quite a sort of gnarly opening. Although this is not what I would call a horror movie. It's got that horror movie opening, that sort of first kill, isn't it? Sort of thing that sort of set the tone of the movie and then it slows down as we get introduced to like the main group who all wake up and sort of um, Quentin sort of prancing around and everything and they all come into the room. And Renz makes me laugh. He's just like this fucking tiny little old grumpy geezer, but he's the only one who seems to have a fucking clue about what's going on. He does. It's random the way they meet each other as well. It opens with Quentin and Worth. They're the only two in the room. Worth just sort of led there, half asleep pretty much. And then, is it Renz who just falls through the fucking one of the cube doors, doesn't he? And so does um, Holloway. They just sort of appear. I I can't remember how Levin appears. She might do the same. They all sort of just fall through doors into the room. Yeah, I think, yeah, like I said, they all kind of like fall in and end up in this white room, which has a bit of significance later. And then I think they hear Levin shouting don't they so they've all been placed in there sort of nearby each other i'm not sure why um old alien three bloke wasn't nearby the rest of them but maybe he was in from a previous run of the cube i don't know if he was supposed to be in their group it doesn't really sort of explain it no it doesn't does it he just well i would say he's there to set the tone doesn't really even set a tone does he, he just gets sliced up and then we never see him again obviously um but the bit there is a synopsis said old ren he like and you said as well he seems to know a little bit what's going on um he sort of says oh there's sensors chucks his boot in, thinks everything's okay, goes into the room, and then, as the synopsis said, his face starts melting. I was like, shit. So we've got two quite sort of gory deaths in the opening couple of minutes, haven't we? Because he falls back into the main room with the rest of them, and his face is all melting off, and they're obviously all screaming and shit. It's pretty gnarly. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty brutal, isn't it? And it's sort of thing of like, oh, yeah, there's motion sensors, and he's like using his boot, as it says, you know, he's tying his laces, throwing it in, but... The only fucking shoelaces, yeah, he manages to cast his boot, like, fully into the room, like, into the middle. And I'm like, how long are your fucking shoelaces, mate? Because only a pair of Doc Martens, if that. 
I know, and also they sort of use the boots throughout the film. And at one point, fucking Worth is pretty much asleep, holding onto this boot like for dear life, like it's his bloody little kid or something. But how many boots have they got? Obviously, there's how many? Five of them. But I don't think Levin's even got any shoes on when she falls into the room. She's certainly barefoot through most of the film, but they seem to have a, a almost unlimited supply of boots. Exactly, and there's obviously we see like his definition that he throws it in and like a flamethrower gets one of them doesn't it and like completely yeah. cooks it and it's like well the shoes aren't going to fucking last long considering how like brutal these traps are you know one boot going in and getting destroyed definitely burn through them pretty quick yeah because he pulls it back and it's all sort of hanging apart isn't it so yeah I mean it's a good idea I guess but it's not going to set half the traps off anyway because a lot of them aren't even set off like that kind of thing we see one a bit later on which is kind of set off by noise isn't it which I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on when we get there yeah, and it does make me laugh, like, before Renz dies, because he's sort of like, oh, yeah, we'll use this, we'll try and find our way out, and we get, like, a kind of little montage of them moving through some rooms. Then he gives this big lofty speech, doesn't he? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, anyone messes with me, I'm going to be gone like that. you got to look at what's right in front of you. And he jumps into a room and just fucking dies, and it's like, you should have taken your own advice, mate. Yeah, he does. And at that point, I was thinking, so how many of these people are going to survive? Are they all just, like, fodder? Are they all going to die off? Obviously, we'll find out as we go through, but, I mean... Obviously, Alderson wasn't part of the, the film, as far as we know. He just died for the sake of it. But Renz didn't last very long at all. And I was thinking, are these just going to be popped off one by one? Yeah. It's weird, because at the end, when the credits are rolling, and that, like Alderson's character, his actor's name, and that, he comes up quite prominently. I mean, I don't know if he is like a bigger actor or not, and he's, that's why he's sort of highly credited, even though he's in it for a few seconds. But he's quite heavily sort of emphasised in the credits. I'm like, well, you're in the movie for like seconds and then you just like got chopped in the fish bait. So I don't know why you're so high up the fucking, the list. Oh, I didn't notice. I didn't really see the um, the titles, to be honest. Um, I was typing sort of my thoughts as they were rolling. So I didn't, I didn't see his name. Yeah. So Quentin believes each person was chosen specifically to be there. Levin hypothesises that the rooms whose plates contain prime numbers are trapped. While exploring, they encounter a seemingly mentally disabled man called Kazan. Holloway, a free clinic doctor, insists they bring him along, greatly upsetting Quentin. After Quentin injures his leg in a trapped room, Levin deemed safe, tensions rise among the group, as well as the mystery of the maze's purpose. The nihilistic Worth admits to Quentin he helped construct the cube, designing its outer shell and claims it was for a shady bureaucracy of some kind. He guesses that the original purpose has been long since forgotten, they have only been placed inside um, simply to put it to use. That covers a little bit. It's hard to sort of gauge the kind of progress of this movie because it's just so contained and it's a very claustrophobic movie. Um, but I do like the way when they start, so he starts figuring it out like um, like uh, Ren was an escape artist and he's like, all right, so Holloway's a doctor, I'm a cop. And then he's like, with all the numbers and the glasses, they're like, they came into our houses, they stripped us bare, but they left Levin with her glasses and he figures out that she needs them to read and that she's, obviously asked her a question and that she's good at mathematics and stuff. So I do like the way that each person's in there is kind of like a link in the chain to figuring out the puzzle. It's like the crystal maze, isn't it? But it's, it's weird as well though, because Levin starts working out these prime numbers and she seems quite good at it at first. And I guess as they progress to getting more and more fatigued and everything, but without giving too much away towards the end, she can't work out shit. She's like, I don't know. The numbers are too big. It's like, well, you were working them out earlier and now suddenly <laughs> you can't. That doesn't seem to make sense. Yeah, it is a bit strange, isn't it? And then, like you say, fatigue's in there, because even Holloway's like, you know, we've got about three days um, to go. Because I keep hearing that sort of, like, clink, don't they? And before Renz dies, it's like, oh, is that something mechanical? It comes in regular intervals. And they're like, well, there's no kind of, like, ventilation in here. But 
I was thinking, I'm not a claustrophobic person, but watching this movie again after a while, and that must be just because I'm a bit older, I'm like, man, I just really, obviously I wouldn't want to be in there in the first place, but I'd really struggle because it's just, the way it's shot, the way they're all confined into that room, it just looks so fucking horrible, like no fresh air, no nothing. Yeah, I've got more and more claustrophobic because I've got older. It never used to bother me, but now I'm not too keen on lifts. I don't really like being in the tube for too long unless I've had a few beers and I don't care. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't like it at all. Um, to get a bit of a shit montage, you said there about the effects and everything. Some of the pre- the like the, the acid and the, the slicing were quite good, but there's a really shitty montage and some. there's hardly any music in this film, but there's some really weird cheesy music as we get this sort of little montage of them going through through a few rooms and it's really weird it didn't really fit with the the film i didn't think didn't i know exactly that music as well and i've never quite understood where it came from it's like some random little like jingle with some woman going like yeah or something like that it's like it's just fucking shit and then like you say old matey boy goes in there she's like oh yeah there's no this door's clear and this bit it just doesn't make sense before um quentin when he gets his like leg sliced so like oh stop and suddenly, like, he's just surrounded by these razor wires, like, in this tight circle. And it's like, how would he even walk through there? The gap's about six inches thick. So where did these razors suddenly pop up from? Yeah, I didn't get that bit because... So she said it was clear, did she? And then he goes in there. Because I was like, why has he even gone in there? I thought she said it wasn't clear and he still went in there. But she did say, oh, that room's clear, did she? And got it wrong. Yeah, because this is where they start to figure out that the prime number theory that she's working on doesn't actually work, but it's worked thus far, which is really strange. It's like, how can you, you've just got lucky, have you, walking through all these fucking rooms? But yeah, it turns out it's um, not prime numbers, it's factors of a prime, which come into it later with the um, with Kazan, who turns out to be a genius, spoiler alert. Yeah, he does. The way he appears again, they open the door and he just sort of falls through. It's like, that's how they all kind of appear in this film, they just fall through doors. Yeah, <laughs> fucking out. I mean, those rooms, I don't know how long what she says. It was like, um, she says like eight by eight square or even bigger than that. So falling from the top straight down onto like a metal hatch and everything. I'm surprised they get up afterwards. I'd probably just be unconscious or dead. Well, worse, he must fall through about 50 of these bloody things, particularly at the <laughs> end. It literally, all he does is fall through doors and like get more and more battered. Um, but obviously, well, we'll see what happens to him at the end. But Old um, Holloway, then she goes into a room, doesn't she? And she starts choking. They're like, shit, it's gas. It turns out she was just choking on the button. Because um, was it Ren who gave him gave her a button to chew on? It was, wasn't it? Yeah, because he's like, oh, yeah, suck on your buttons from your shirt because it keeps the saliva flowing. Yeah, she's going it. on about like dehydration and stuff. Yeah, because she's taking the piss out of Quentin because he's like saying it was aliens who built this or something. And she hops down and then just like say, starts fucking choking. I'll tell you one thing that I do think is quite good, obviously, we're talking about dehydration and that, is their lips get more and more sort of like battered up and like you can tell their mouths are really dry and that. I thought that was quite a good touch. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. And it's even more impressive knowing that they had to put that on and off throughout the filming because obviously they go through different coloured rooms. So to shoot all the red scenes, they'd have had to shoot like the early ones where they're sort of normal and then progress, and then remember where they got to and what they looked like when they changed to shooting all the blue scenes, um, obviously, to keep, like say, that consistency. But they do a really good job of literally making them look exhausted as the film goes on, as you say. Yeah, they do. And speaking of old Kazan, he just randomly decides to take a piss, doesn't he, in the, in the room, and then <laughs> they sort of direct him to the corner. But at one point, he just you don't see anything, thank God. But he just starts taking a piss in the middle of the room. I mean, obviously... Because there he's mentally disabled. I don't know if that's the politically correct thing to say. Apologies if it isn't, but that's what the synopsis said. Um, But yeah, I mean, he's quite a good character. I did quite like him out of all of them. 
Yeah, he's he's quite good. And the guy who plays him obviously does a pretty good job because he's quite convincing. But I was yes. thinking it a lot of times in these movies, they don't really um address this issue. But yeah, what happens if you're in that thing and you're the banging shit? Like, all right, I need to go and find like a room we pass through that isn't trapped so I can drop me load. <laughs> I think I'd probably be constipated if I was in there. But <laughs> yeah, fucking hell, you're right. <laughs> So, Worth's knowledge of the out-the-shell's dimensions allows Levin to calculate that 26 rooms in each row. The entire cube has 17,576 rooms overall. However, later revealed on the bridge room would be 17,577 total rooms. She realises that the numbers may indicate each room's Cartesian coordinates, whatever that means. Following the theory, the group travelled to the outer edge but realised every room there is trapped. Rather than backtrack, they traverse a room to find uh, sound activated. After Kazan nearly causes Quentin's death, Holloway defends him from Quentin's threats, insinuating that Quentin may be an abusive husband who likes young girls. She comes to that conclusion pretty quickly, but um, it does. <laughs> this is um, quite a good section, actually, where they're going through, because now we're getting to the point where like, um, Quentin's starting to suspect Holloway, uh, not Holloway, um, Worth, and then Worth obviously says obviously he was involved and he was part of a project, but he only knew part of it, and he says that's how things like this are built. You know, someone builds something over here, another team builds something over there, but they never know actually what it's all going together to be. And we kind of find out a little bit of kind of like what it actually is without actually finding out what it is, if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, Quentin and Worth really don't like each other, do they? Quentin just starts smacking the shit out of him. Um, and in the end, it's Holloway and Levin and that who stop him. Um, and then Levin works out pretty quickly there's 17,576 rooms. I mean, yeah, I mean, she's supposed to be a mathematical genius, but she works out on that pretty quickly. Um, and then she's, oh, they're dimensional coordinates. It's like, fucking hell, you, you're a bit of a genius here. You're working this shit out pretty well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know she's obviously said she's a mathematician, but it's like, yeah, we're only at sort of college, so unless you're like, fuck it, I don't know what it takes to be a mathematician or anything. I'm shit at math, so it wouldn't be any good for me. I'd be shit in that thing. But yeah, she figures that shit out pretty quickly. She does. And then obviously it says there, they go through that booby trap room where it's like, sound or your voice that sets it off and um they all do quite well don't they considering i mean you sort of you don't really see so much of the other guys i think it's worth who goes first and he's monkeying across these bloody little bars at the, t- at the top then he manages to go down the side and he's got his boot in his mouth hadn't he i think or he's got something in his mouth and he manages to do it all without making one single sound which is a bit unbelievable yeah absolutely yeah because now that quentin doesn't trust him he like tries to and they're obviously low on boots. He sort of sends him first for all the fucking traps, doesn't he? But um, yeah, I mean, Christ, I don't know. I wouldn't be able to do that because, like you say, like this sort of sound of like your hand grabbing the sort of metal bars or something, or like a nervous fart sneaks out or something like that, <laughs> and you'd be doomed, wouldn't you? But per my um, my intro bit, this bit's always cracked me up because Quentin's the last to go through and he sort of gets right to the end and you see Kazan looking around and he just goes, ha! And sets the fucking trap off and all the fucking spikes come out and nearly kill him. Yeah, that yeah, that's right. That's the bit, and yeah, because Kazan is he, he's kind of he gets wrapped around one of the door handles, doesn't he? He's like his foot or his trouser or something, and then he makes that noise, and then it all kicks off. I mean, Quentin's a fucking miserable bastard as it is, but this sets him right off. Yeah, he's really starting to sort of snap now, isn't he? Because at first, just sort of made the thing, oh, he's the cop, he's going to sort of be in control and level-headed, but it turns out he's the biggest fucking lunatic of a lot of them. Yeah, he is, and like the synopsis said there, and even you pointed out, like. Holloway jumps to a conclusion pretty quick. She's like, oh, that's probably why your wife left you. So like, how do you know his wife's left him? Did, did he mention that? I don't remember him. Obviously, the synopsis said it, but I don't think he's told anyone, has he? 
No, I don't think so. I mean, he's mentioned he has um, two daughters and stuff. Because um, they're all like, you know, why are you, you know, why are you so determined to get out of here and keep going? And he's like, oh, because I've got two kids outside. I need to get back to them and stuff. So you think that's just like a casual kind of like that's what's pushing him forward. But yeah, I don't remember there being any dialogue about him being like absent from his wife or anything like that. No, I mean, maybe they were just chit-chatting. So there's a few bits, obviously, with montages and that. I mean, I'd imagine there would have been a bit of chit-chatter and stuff as they were going through things. Maybe, I don't know. I mean, it's pretty tense. Would you be talking about your family life as you're trying not to die? Who knows? But anyway, she seems to know stuff about him. Well, maybe she's just surmising and guessing because he's a bit of a dick. I don't know. Possibly, yeah. But it is a bit kind of like, they say, just a, just a random conclusion. And no wonder he sort of snaps because a bit of an accusation to point, even if everyone is already stressed out. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it doesn't take much to set him off either, does it? Worf seems to certainly press his buttons. Well, yeah, because there he's like been beaten up Worf and now old Kazan's just nearly had him sort of sliced up. So he's battering him as well. He's just fucking working his way around the group at this point. He is. Um, and spoiler alert, he becomes even more of an arsehole a bit later on. He does, yeah. So the group reaches the edge, finding a bottomless abyss separating the cube from the outer shell. Being one of the lightest, Holloway tries to swing over to the outer shell, lowered down using a rope made of the group's uniforms tied together. The cube shakes, causing everyone to accidentally release the rope, and Quentin catches it at the last second. He initially pulls her up, then lets her fall to her death. This bit here, when they get to the edge, um, I quite like. And again, like the CGI and everything outside, considering it's all done for free and it's 1997. Granted, it's minimalistic at the best of times, but I think it you know, does the job and looks pretty good. Yeah, I mean, this is the bit where Quentin completely turns into an arsehole because he looks her in the eye, doesn't he, and then just drops her. Then he mm. kind of goes back into the room, and at first they think she's just fallen. They do find out in the end what happened, or Levin certainly works it out. Um, but yeah, he's an arsehole. I mean, but she's swinging about and everything. I mean, they seem to hold on to her quite easily I thought and then in the end worse like you need to fucking get out she's starting to get heavy but she's swinging about and they sort of just casually and they sort of run forward a little bit I thought that was a little bit shit the way that was done but obviously the budget was quite small um but yeah I mean just the way he looks into her eyes and then drops her I was like what an arsehole I think I actually exclaimed out loud what an arsehole when he did that yeah, he is a bastard, isn't he? And I'm um, fucking, I mean, fair play to her in the first place for swinging across, because after everything they've been through, it's like, right, I'm just going to dangle outside of this fucking monstrosity of a cube tied together by a few fucking T-shirts and a bunch of fatigued strangers. She's really fucking, not saying she deserves to die or anything, but it's like, well, I guess the alternative is to stay inside and die slowly, so she had no choice either way, but fucking rather than me. Yeah, I mean, she does volunteer, so fair play to her. It's quite a funny bit, though, when she does fall... And uh, Quentin dives. You kind of see his—he sort of dives. You just see his legs hanging out the door, and that made me laugh. I don't know why. It just looked quite funny. I suppose it's quite weird as well because now the whole fucking cast are in these like massive, like fucking huge, bright white boxer shorts and fucking white vests and everything. It's just like, man, what a fucking weird outfit to then try and do the rest of the movie in. Exactly. I mean, it's a bit strange, isn't it? They—they're all in these like uniforms with their names on, and now they're all in the same underwear. So. We never do find out why they're in there or who put them in there, but they must have got them all... They must have drugged them or something and dressed them up. I don't know. We never find out, do we? No, we don't. So um, Quentin, becoming more unhinged, persuades Levin to abandon Kazan and Worth. He tries to sexually assault her, but Worth attacks him. Quentin counters savagely, dropping him into the room below. Worth starts laughing hysterically, realising they're in the same room Wren's died in, indicating they've been travelling in circles. Quentin is horrified. 
The worth finds the room where Ren's died is now moved to the edge of the maze. Levin deduces that the traps are not tagged by prime numbers, but by the power of prime numbers. Kazan is revealed as an autistic savant who can mentally calculate prime factorizations. With the newfound knowledge, Levin guides the group to the edge cube using Kazan's cap calculations. Worth then traps Quentin in a door, letting Levin and Kazan escape from him. When Quentin finds them, he attempts to harm them before Worth opens the hatch under him from the room below. The others travel to the bridge room where they open the exit hatch, seeing a bright light. So yeah, we got fucking Quentin completely being a right dickhead now. And, um, they're like, oh, we need to rest. And he's like, oh yeah, right, you can have an hour to rest and everything before we move on. And then it kind of shows this weird thing of him just sort of leaning over um, fucking, what's her name, Levin. And he takes her to another room. And I'm thinking, how is she not woken up? How is he going to pick her up and carry her through one of those fucking hatches while she's still asleep? That's just, I don't know. I just don't see how that could happen. Yeah, this bit's really weird. I mean, Quentin's been an arsehole all throughout this film. Um, at first, he just looked like he was going to be the leader, but then he just starts becoming more and more unhinged. And this bit just, I don't know, it was weird. He, like you say, you sort of see her, and then he puts her, his hand over her mouth, picks her up and carries her off. And then... He tries to sexually assault her there, as the, the thing said. And I was like, right, I thought you were an arsehole before. Now I know you're an arsehole. Um, and he's just been an absolute fucking dickhead. Yeah, he is. And we get sort of, like I say, Worth tries to sort of like save him. And then he gets an absolute battering. Like the last boot, isn't it? Um, Quentin just like fucking swings it at his face like four or five times. Now he's not dead, I have no idea. But then he just throws him down the hatch into like the next room, which is obviously where they find Ren's body. And this is probably like the only time that um, Worth... Well, around this sort of, this is the first time in the movie Worf's done anything useful. Because he's the one who clocks, isn't it? When they're in the room, they're like, how the fuck are we back here? Then he's like, well, the room we came from is gone. And then at first, they're like, oh, we don't fucking care. And he's like, no, no, how's that happened? And he's the one who kind of clocks, isn't it? That the rooms are, the rooms are actually moving around. They're not static. Yeah, exactly. And then Levin has another epiphany and she works out exactly what's going on with the bridge and everything. And then Kazan does his little bit as well. Um, so everyone's kind of coming together apart from Quentin. He just seems to want to disrupt everything. Yeah, I do like this bit when old fucking Kazan um, pipes up though, because um, Quentin's like, you need to figure out these numbers and all this shit. And she's like, I can, it's astronomical. And he's like, too astronomical. He's <laughs> just like, I want some gumdrops. <laughs> he's just fucking going on about gumdrops for the rest of the movie. Yeah, he is, isn't he? Because at one point he won't go into a room. He doesn't like the red rooms, does he? And Worth has to, like, fucking bribe him. He's like, I'll get you, like, bags of gumdrops. I'll get you either coming from him. And he says now, he has to bribe him to get back into the room, doesn't he? He does, yeah. It's like, I suppose at the time you'd be like, fucking, you'd say, yeah, I'll get you whatever you want. So I think when you get out, I mean, I doubt you want to be held to it. But I suppose all he's thinking is, man, I don't give a fuck. I just want to be out of this bloody cube right now. Yeah, pretty much. You're just going to do whatever you can, aren't you? I mean, the bit there where, where Quentin falls down, I was like, yes, he's fucking dead at last. What a dick. So we've seen a couple of people who we didn't think were going to die actually die. And I thought, yeah, it's the end of him. But um, spoiler alert, he does pop up again in a minute. He does, yeah. He has that sort of, again, that sort of horror movie trope where the villain's not quite dead yet. But before he gets dropped down the hole into like the sort of lower room, um, Worth, he kind of, as he's coming through a door, he pushes the hatch up across his throat. I thought that was pretty fucking gnarly. And I'm like, I'm sure that would do a lot more damage than it seemed to do in the movie because he seems to recover pretty quick. I'm like, you're fatigued and you just had a metal door shoved across your throat and pushed up against it. I think you'd be passed out, mate. Yeah, I thought that because he's like fucking going and he's obviously choking and everything. And yeah, and then the next thing, he seems to be completely normal again. Um, but there we go. Maybe Superman in disguise. Yeah, maybe. 
So as Levin attempts to persuade the guilt-stricken Worth, who no longer wishes to escape, Quentin reappears and fatally impales her with a hatch lever. Worth angrily attacks Quentin. Quentin mortally wounds him and pursues Cassan to the other side. Worth grabs Quentin's legs, pinning him between the hatch. The cubes move, splitting him in half. Worth, bleeding out, crawls in Levin's corpse to die next to her, while Kazan wanders out into a bright light, his fate is left unknown. So the ending does sort of come quite suddenly. I mean, the movie's not particularly long, but they get to the exit, don't they? And then Worth's like, no, I'm responsible for this. I don't want to leave. Then poor Levin just gets fucking stabbed in the back by old fucking matey boy. Yeah, it's like the bloody alien queen, isn't it? Where her tail goes through old Bishop. You sort of see her, and this spike comes out of her chest from right through her back. And old Quentin's reappeared, and he's impaled her, and he, he goes a bit fucking psycho now, or even more than he was. Starts like, I mean, I thought he killed Worth. Obviously, Worth is bleeding out, but he does manage to, like, sort shit out before he crawls off. But, I mean, it's not really a happy ending, is it? And God knows what happens to Kazan. God knows where he's actually going. So we don't see where the, the cubes even lead into, do we, outside? Well, yeah, it's just left completely open. He just walks into a bright light. And apparently there was um, a scene shot where you see where he went, but the director didn't want it to make it to the movie because he wanted that sort of question mark over the top of it. Um, but yeah, apparently there was an idea and obviously we'll never know what it is because it never made it to the movie. And I don't think it's actually available on any of the um, sort of like sort of like DVD versions. And I've never actually owned a physical copy of this movie. But um, yeah, they were going to show something and then decided just to leave it completely blank. Well, I guess, I mean, you think the whole film, we don't know how we, they got there. We don't really know what they're doing there. We don't know who they are, really. We know a little bit of their backstory, but not a great deal. So why film an ending? Let's just leave everything to mystery. Exactly that. <laughs> and um, yeah, that pretty much concludes the uh, the synopsis for Cube. As I say, it's quite a straightforward movie. So um, let's crack on and give this one some scores. So it's my choice. I will go first this week. So... As I said at the start, I think this is actually a pretty good concept movie. Um, it keeps you guessing and it has a mysterious ending. So if you like that sort of thing to kind of make up your mind about what it's about. And as you said at the start there, JT, there is actually a pretty good cult following for this movie on some of the movie forums. And a lot of people have ideas about it and it does have its audience out there. Um, it's a good movie, but I think it may have benefited maybe not so much from a bigger budget, perhaps possibly, but only to hire slightly better actors because I think you're spending time with this. It's very character-driven. I just don't think all the actors are as engaging. Some of them are all right. They do a good enough job. I'll give them that. But I think if it had some more kind of like better actors who could hold the screen a bit more, maybe we could have had a bit more kind of like oomph or kind of attachment to them. Um, I think that's always just been a little bit lacking in here. There's not many of them you really sort of care about or spend enough time with to care about, if that makes sense. Um it's a bit of a slow burn movie, but it's not a long movie. It's only 90 minutes, but it's just got a sort of steady pace. It's not like sort of a, you know, rocket paced film, but it does have those um, sudden moments of like, holy shit, something mental's just happened. Like the two sort of quite gnarly deaths at the start. And then towards the end when stuff starts kicking off and Quentin starts being a fucking bell end, it does sort of like just come out of nowhere and sort of like these sort of bursts of energy. Um I say the movie is deserving of its cult following. It's certainly a lot better than a lot of the modern shit that comes out and some of the other sort of bigger budget kind of horror or kind of like mystery movies that have sort of been around, although it's not like amazing or anything. It is definitely one of the better ones and I have watched it quite a lot over the years. Um, so I think I'm just going to give this one three others straight down the middle. I do quite like it and I think it's an interesting premise. The sequels are a bit wank. Um, the second one's got a cube that's got like a time distortion in it. 
and you do kind of see a little bit of the outside of it towards the end, but not too much. And then cube zero is just a load of fucking bollocks. It's about the creation of the first cube, but it's just fucking rubbish. So I wouldn't recommend anyone watching that one. But I might check out the Japanese remakes. I'd be intrigued with that one. And also to see if the main director who did this one, who created it, does do his own remake or his reboot down the line. Um, so yeah, three others from EJT. I think it's a pretty decent movie and definitely worth a watch. Oh, good stuff, Bread Roll. So, um, well, this is a fucking weird film, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I'm going to echo a few things you said, actually, which I normally do. Um, it is very contained and claustrophobic in places, and some of the effects do actually look quite good. Um, the slicey guy at the start and the acid particularly stuck out in my mind is, yeah, that looked decent, but there's some terrible effects in this as well, and some weird fucking montages with some really random music, which looked bad, and a couple of really bad slow-mo bits as well. Um, as you said, none of the characters are particularly likeable. They're all a bit shit, really. Levin and Kazan are okay. The rest of them, and Quentin, I fucking hated him from start to finish. Maybe, I suppose you're supposed to hate him, but I actually thought the actor was shit as well. I thought he was dreadful. Some of the faces and his reactions were just so over the top, I just thought he was fucking awful. Um, I mean, it's only 90 minutes long, which is a good job. Not, I didn't hate it. Um, but I don't think they could have got any more out of it. If it had been too any longer, it just would have dragged. Um, it's not really a lot else to say. All in all, I didn't particularly enjoy it, but I didn't hate it either. Um, so I'm I'm going to give this one two others. It possibly would have got a three if Quentin wasn't so annoying and the actor wasn't so fucking dreadful. Um, so I'm going to give this one two others, Bread Roll. It's not terrible, but I don't think I'd rush to watch it again or any of the sequels. Yeah, fair play. Yeah, no, that's good stuff. Yeah, he's a fucking bad actor and he's an annoying character. But I'm wondering if, like, that's one of the elements that was missing. Like, the movie was trying to be too mysterious because it's like, they're all named after prisons, all their actual names and stuff. So are they in there for crimes they've committed or is some kind of punishment or purgatory or something like that? I think if that's the aspect they were going for, that's why all the characters weren't likeable. But the actors weren't good enough to portray that. I think maybe that's maybe something that's in there, really, that kind of let it down a bit. Yeah, you could be right there. I mean, Kazan, to be fair, the guy who played him does a really good job because that's not an easy role to play, although he doesn't say a lot. I mean, it's more character acting. I think he's quite good, but the rest of them, I mean, Worth and Levin were okay. Holloway, I suppose. Just fucking Quentin. I can't get that guy out of my head. He was just dreadful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is fucking shit. Um, there we go. And yeah, don't watch the sequels. They're not worth it. If you didn't like this one very much, then you're definitely going to fucking hate those two. So don't watch them. <laughs> okay, fair play. But let us know what you think of this movie. Have you seen it and do you have any thoughts on it? It's called Cube, available on um, Prime at the moment if you want to watch it. And um, yeah, let us know what you think of it. And if you think we've scored it justly, you can let us know at the usual place, the Hyperbaric Goats on Twitter. And join us next week as JT has picked something for us. What are we doing, JT? Well, just before I do, is it called Twitter anymore? Is it called X? Who knows what it's fucking well, called? Yeah. <laughs> whatever it's called, we're on there anyway, for, for now until it gets taken down or whatever. Uh, anyway, um, right, so next week, you picked a film that no one's ever heard of, so I thought I'd do the same and pick a film that probably no one's ever heard of. It's a little bit more modern, from 2017, this one. It stars Melanie Alinsky and Frodo himself, Elijah Wood. It's a Netflix film, I think it was made for Netflix, and it's called I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore. There we go. Wow, I... Definitely haven't. I actually am a bit of a fan of Elijah Wood, um, not just through Lord of the Rings. He's done some pretty cool, um, some really fucking creepy movies as well. But no, I've not even heard of that one. Didn't know it was a thing. 
I stumbled across it on Netflix when it popped up these recommended things and the trailer happened to sort of pop up while I was doing something and it caught my attention. Um, so I have seen it um, and I just thought, I'll see what Brad Roll thinks of this. Um, yeah, probably no one will listen to the podcast because no one's ever heard of the film. But anyway, I thought I'd uh, get your opinion on it. Oh, well, there we go. I look forward to that one. So I always like to see new movies. So uh, there we go. That is what we will be doing next week. Um, so yeah, join us then. And uh, thank you for listening to us for this episode. This is Bread Rolls signing off. And for me, JT, I've just got one last thing to say. I'm not dying in a fucking rat maze. <laughs>